0: Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Good afternoon, everybody. I hope you're well. Let me acknowledge that I am sitting on Dharawar country and pay my respects to wherever um, you might be sitting around this country and acknowledge that it was, is and always will be Aboriginal land. Let me pay my respects to Elders past and present and, of course, to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who might be with us this afternoon. I wanted to say thanks for having me. Also acknowledge my colleague, Dr Megan Weir, who's led this research for CSI on the Social Progress Index for Australia. Uh, And finally, thanks for being here, given Zoom fatigue that is hitting all of us at the moment. Uh, You're almost there to the end of the day, I understand it. I want to take you back, for those of you who are old enough, 30 years, and uh, go back to 1991 in your minds. It was a year that Paul Keating challenged Bob Hawke, so we had two Prime Ministers during that time. It was the year apparently that the Honda Accord was the most popular car, certainly not in my household. Um, And it was the year that Mr Bean and the Simpsons debuted on Australian television. It was also the year that in Australia there were over 257,000 babies born across the country. Let's call one of these babies Sam, who was born in Mount Druitt, and the other Andrew, who was born in North Sydney. By the time that Sam and Andrew were two, the country was hit by an economic downturn, leaving around one in 10 families with children living in jobless households. Andrew's parents, weren't affected, Sam's family was. These kids are now 29 years of age. They're almost at their 30th birthday. In their first 28 years of their life, Australia experienced unprecedented economic growth. In fact, by the time they were 25, average household disposable incomes was actually twice that of when they were born, even after accounting for price rate rises and population growth. So by any measure, those 28 years of unprecedented economic growth is a remarkable outcome. But is this enough to measure Australia's social progress? If we stay with Andrew and Sam's stories, irrespective of the fact that they both grew up during these 28 years of economic growth, we could then as we still can now predict somebody's life outcomes of those babies and others based on the postcode in which they were born. We can predict their education, their employment, their income and their health outcomes amongst other things. Sam has a low education level, spent many years underemployed, is now unemployed, is in housing stress and skips meals to feed his kids. Andrew has a higher education, is full-time employed and lives at home in a high-income household where he's saving for a deposit for his own place. And based on current data, he's more likely to actually be a CEO because his name is Andrew than if he was a woman by any other given name, for those of you who like those kinds of stats. Over almost three decades of their lives, we as a country became richer than we ever could have imagined. But even before COVID, uh, growth was not good for everybody. Sam wasn't the only one who grew up in poverty and despite this economic growth, we failed to address many social issue areas pre-COVID. Let's have a look at some of them. On the financial stress front, around 1 in 10 adults and 1 in 7 kids were living in poverty. Wage growth did not keep up with inflation. Almost 1 in 4 who are working don't have access to any paid leave entitlements. We know financial stress in general is high. We know that among low-income households, household um, housing stress is is exceptionally high. Across the country, one in 200 are homeless on any given night. It's double the rate for our young people. And food insecurity is incredibly high, especially amongst our most um, disadvantaged households. We still have a fundamental problem with digital exclusion with around 2.5 million Australians missing out. We have problems with family and domestic violence, as many of you will well know. And around one in five people experience mental health uh, disorders or a disability, and we know that that has implications for their educational outcomes, their employment and their participation more broadly. So what this tells us is that we've failed as a country to actually progress beyond that GDP marker and we need a new way to be able to determine the extent to which we can progress socially. So what we wanted to do is to look at well how do we come up with an index to measure social progress and social progress is all about by definition the capacity to meet basic human needs to enhance and sustain people's quality of lives and to ensure that all people can reach their full potential. The Social Progress Index is an index that enables us to measure these three things in aggregate. It's a global measure based against these three domains of human needs, foundations of well-being and opportunity. And our premise is if we can marry up the GDP or the economic side of it with the social progress imperative, then we're going to get inclusive growth. The Social Progress Initiative uh, Index is based on, on universally important questions. It's that international framework that asks big picture questions against things like do people have adequate housing with basic utilities? It asks questions like do people have access to an education foundation? Can people freely access ideas and information from anywhere in the world? And are people free to make their own life choices. In understanding the extent to which different countries meet these these definitions, we need to be able to select indicators that tell us to what extent the country is performing against each of these things. When we looked at doing this, we had to come up with some universal design principles that were important. Four key things uh, were critical to the development of this. They had to be exclusively social and environmental indicators. We wanted to make sure we were looking at outcomes and not inputs. We wanted to make sure that they were relevant to all states and territories so we could come up with state and territory comparisons. And we wanted things that were actionable. So the research needs to be something that we can see how we're progressing, we can respond with policies, interventions, programs, etc., cetera, and hopefully see the changes as a result of those at a macro level. I'm not going to spend time on this. There's heaps of um, background information on our website. You're free to contact Megan Weir if you want all the methodological background. But we also looked at a whole lot of things in selecting those indicators around data availability, granularity, comparison at state and territory levels, sample sizes, reliability, transparency, Uh, etc. Where we were limited um, was in areas particularly around things like environmental indicators and irregular collection of social indicators. And also we were really challenged by the deficit approach that's been taken to understand Indigenous indicators. But that's enough methodologically. Uh, You can find out more information if you're interested on that from Megan or our website. Uh, But here's where we landed. So despite those three decades of economic growth that I was talking about, Australia's Social Progress Index does not look particularly great. We don't fare that well. You can see that what we've done here is we've scored different states and territories. It shows how those states and territories are performing relative to each other. We looked at 2015 to 2018 so we could compare trends over time And we saw some consistent things. The ACT will be no surprise to anybody, performed number one in each of those years. Western Australia and the Northern Territory consistently placed seventh and eighth. The order and scores of some of these states and territories on social progress might seem surprising or it might make complete sense to you. And I think where it can be helpful across Australia is where we're doing well and where we need improvement. And it's when we start to look within states and territories or within particular areas within the index that we can see where the attention is most needed. So let's have a look at one of these areas, which is nutritional and basic medical care. Australia actually performs really well in this area with the exception of the Northern Territory. When we look at the indicators that that are used to create this, this component, factors such as remoteness, the high proportion of residents who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander can help to explain this disparity we're seeing between the Northern Territory and other states and territories around the country. If we look at other areas, um, let's take personal freedom and choice for example, there is more disparity around how the states and territories are faring in these kinds of issues and this was the area where we saw across the country there was most need for improvement and these are issues uh, like things like inclusiveness and personal freedom and choice. They're more complex than, say, nutrition and basic medical care because it's less about how much money you have to spend on improving an issue and more about the social context that exists for the people within that community, the extent to which they feel they have personal rights, freedom of choice and feelings of inclusiveness or belonging. There are also issues which... um, These are issues that a whole lot of us in the not-for-profit, for-purpose sector are trying to improve within communities. And what our hope is, is that the Social Progress Index could be picked up as a language and a framework that we can use to help improve things like opportunity across the board. We can also take the social progress index and you can play with this online, it's completely usable um, for you to move around. And we can also look at it at a state or territory level and bring up these these sort of detailed scorecards within each of the areas to show how each state and territory is performing and you can pick over which particular time point for this. You'll remember that I said ACT consistently ranks number one, but you can see from this is that they certainly have areas that they could do with some significant improvement. They perform really well in certain areas, but they're slower on things like personal freedom and choice, inclusiveness and environmental quality. I think what's good about this at a state and territory level is different groups or individuals, policymakers can pick it up and say where does the State or Territory actually need most support to lift the social progress as a whole. It's a quite a powerful tool. We've also produced these State by State scorecards, which is a more simple way of looking at how the State and, the, and or the Territories are performing almost off a traffic light system. Victoria ranked fourth overall across all the states and territories, and you can see where they're performing well against the the green dots, are mediocre in the yellow and need for improvement, and quite poorly in the orange and red categories. I think if you think about this in aggregate, what this helps show us is that as a total, they do good and bad in some areas, but actually overall they're still only ranking fourth. And to really lift the social progress of a state or territory or the country overall, we really need to focus on multiple components at once. The uh, Social Progress Index can also be mapped against the SDGs. For those of you who are interested in the Sustainable Development Index, we have done scorecards Um, mapping the SPI framework to the 17 SDGs and seeing how states and territories are doing against these particular goals. Um, One of the key things here is is that some of them are less robust than others because we're only able to find one or two quality indicators. But nonetheless, what is still really interesting about this is where SDGs are a driving force, and particularly in Australia where we've struggled to report against this, we can see how we're faring either at a state and territory level or nationally by looking at how Australia is doing against the SDGs based on the Social Progress Index. And I've just given you the example of Queensland just to have a look at how this might work, as opposed to expecting you to be able to read that tiny text and take on any of that information. The other thing that we wanted to do was to be able to track trends over time and this is really important not just for the first lot of the spi in australia and by the way we're one of 45 countries that have done this at a very specific level globally we rank around 12th out of 139 countries the 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 trends piece is important because if we're going to actually hopefully have this as an iterative let's develop new policies and programs and investments based on where we need to lift our social progress, we want to see those trends improve over time. And we actually have seen improvement between 2015 and 2018 across the states and the territories. The interesting thing about the small improvements is we could look at these small improvements and we could hypothesise that, well, maybe the economic growth was in relation to a um, Uh, an improvement in social progress, maybe as these states and territories have improved in terms of their economic trajectories, they've invested in these things and this is why we're seeing improvements with some of these trends being on the up. We actually tested this and unfortunately what we didn't see was this. So our hypothesis being that as the social progress index score goes up, and the GDP per capita goes up, our hypothesis is, is that technically or rationally, uh, it should look something like this, the graph. But actually, when we looked at this, and we modeled it against the GSP, that's the per capita um, gross state or territory domestic product, it didn't look like this, but rather like this. So what this is showing us is that economic growth is not currently correlating with social progress. And interestingly, when we look at states with some of the highest um, state uh, gross per per capita, the, the economic outcomes for Western Australia and Northern Territory were highest across all of the states and territories over this time period, and yet... Uh, they performed performed seventh and eighth in the list compared to other states and territories. The other thing that we can look at is whether it does or doesn't reflect individual economic realities. And this is where we have seen, we know it doesn't reflect economic realities at a state and territory level. When we look at an individual level, we're seeing a closer alignment when we take the median. So what this is telling us is is a story of inequality. So when we get the median level of income, we're starting to see some closer alignment between the social progress and the economic outcomes. And the real question here as states and territories and as a nation is, how do we start to shift this for the country as a whole? And how do we start to shift this relationship we're seeing um, to address that story of inequality? We can also take the SPI framework and say, well, how are we going when we apply the policy analysis to what's happened? We can take COVID, for example. Now, this isn't, uh, this isn't a, you know, everything that ever existed in the life of the policy response to COVID. But what it does do is start to show you where the responses were um, from different government departments and in different social issue areas during the COVID period. And I think when we start to put a dollar value against some of these in the federal government response, and again, we can do it by state and territories, we can see sort of the dominant response being an economic one in terms of COVID, with some responses being around health in particular, not surprising, some funding going into communications packages, and broadly, again, around health and and well-being. Uh, And similarly, we could map that at each state and territory level. And my colleague, uh, Megan Weir, and a couple of other colleagues have been talking to various MPs around the country in regard to how their states and territories are faring and also their responses. From a big picture level, I think we need to start thinking about where we came from when you go back to 1991 and we look at where we were before COVID to post-COVID. And I'd argue that weathering the storm is not enough during COVID in terms of our policy responses, because our social progress was so inadequate to start with. And if we're serious about economic recovery, we're going to have to focus not just on the important economic pieces to the puzzle, but the other pieces that enable people to maintain jobs, community connections, supports, affordable and social housing and responsive healthcare. And we've started to see this um, over the weekend with the announcement of social housing investment in Victoria, and hopefully we'll start to see that in some other areas as well. Our hypothesis is, is that we will only see resilience and recovery if we can address the economic and the social progress. And I'm not going to go over this because I've wasted time on the internet crashing at the start, but we've seen significant effects of the impact, the economic impact of COVID, and then we've also seen significant impacts of the societal um, effects of COVID, and those are going to get worse. And really the point of that is that what we're likely to see is an exacerbation of the social and economic issues that we saw pre-COVID with the Social Progress Index results. It's likely to get worse. Um, And hopefully with some of the policy and other responses that we're seeing at local and federal levels, we'll be mitigating some of that shift. The key thing really in the big picture is we want the Social Progress Index for Australia to help identify what's working in what locations and at at that macro level, what might need attention, where we need to increase collaboration across the sectors in terms of how we might respond To the problems that we're seeing and as a result where we want to land is really good inclusive socially progressive growth and really the wash up of all of this is back to that whole piece that the postcode in which you were born should not predict your life outcomes and we hope that something like the social progress index can help lift states and territories across the country as well as the country as a whole. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the Communities in Control library. If you did, we'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit communitiesincontrol.com.au.